Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Asia VC Cast, hosted by yours truly, Daniel Song at the Song VC on Twitter. This week's special guest is Alex Shin from Hashed. Alex is the chief business officer and partner at Hashed, the largest crypto asset fund, project accelerator, and community builder based out in Korea. Working out of San Francisco, Alex focuses his efforts around cross-border deals and key partnership opportunities as Hash continues to build footprint overseas. Previously, Alex led the U.S. expansion of Blind and held numerous enterprise sales and partnership roles at companies like Google and DocuSign. So please join me in welcoming Alex Chin from Hashed. Hey, Alex, how's it going? Hey, man, going good. Good. Thank you for joining us today. So why don't we get started by telling our audience a little bit about yourself and Hashed. My name is Alex Shin. Uh, I am the Chief Business Officer and Partner at Hashed. Uh, Hashed is the largest crypto assets fund, project accelerator, community builder, educator based out in Korea uh, with an office in San Francisco as well. Great. And why don't you tell us how you made your way into the world of blockchain and crypto? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I've been following Bitcoin, I guess, for quite a while. So uh, I was spending a lot of time in Silicon Valley. I was working in Mountain View. I think I was at Google at the time when I first heard about it. Um, A lot of the Googlers were really interested, really excited. Um, They were probably all on Silk Road. I'm not going to drop names. (laughs) Um, The barrier to entry at the time for me was a bit too high. Um, So I I paid attention. I saw it hit 1200. I saw it, you know, uh, fall all the way down to 200. And I remember thinking that it was going to come back with, with a vengeance, right? Uh, I didn't know it was going to happen so fast. You know, flash forward a few years. Um, I'm actually really good friends with Sojun, uh, so Simon Kim in our fund. Uh, prior to all of this, you know, blockchain kind of revolution that we're in right now. So, um, you know, we're hanging out in San Francisco and suddenly he's like gung-ho about this thing that he invested in. He thinks it's the future, it's the next internet. And to be, to be honest, I didn't really care too much about cryptocurrencies. Because uh, I didn't think this random Ethereum thing was going to be worth that or it was going to be that groundbreaking. Uh, but the big draw point for me was he was talking about how the Korean market was kind of taking off. And ironically enough, I started having a lot of sort of venture capitalists, you know, product guys and really well-known Silicon Valley people um, asking me if I knew anybody uh, working in the crypto space in Korea. And, you know, I knew Simon. So that sort of got me to feel like, man, there's a, there's a lot of people interested in what's going on in Korea. Um, this is definitely the kind of the cross-borders environment that I wanted to be a part of. Uh, so that's sort of how I got into it. I would say probably, you know, a little bit more than this time last year. Gotcha. And, you know, before you joined Hash, you also were leading the business for a Korean company called Blind. And, you know, as a Korean-American born and raised in the U.S., now previously working for, you know, top global companies like DocuSign and Google, you know, why were you so fascinated by the Korean people and culture that you may decide to work in the Korean companies? Yeah, so uh, I'm, well, let's dial back. If you look at kind of Silicon Valley or Seattle, which is where I grew up, um, the scene is very IT or tech centric. Uh, and I'm, I'm one of the very few non-engineers, designer and or accountant, like in all of Silicon Valley, that's from a Korean heritage. Um, while working at DocuSign, I was a pure on sales guy, like um, apparently really, really good at cold calling. And uh, I Google the same thing. It was um, doing a lot of partnership deals, um, I don't know. At the end of the day, I always felt like, man, there's somebody else here that can probably do exactly what it is that I do uh, and probably do it better. Right. Uh, and then I got to start thinking about why aren't there any like successful Korean startups? I kept hearing about 
you know, Korea's startup scene is exploding. The government is putting a lot of money to this space, but I never saw any of them come out to the Bay and get any meaningful traction. So um, that was around the time when the Korean Air Nut Rage incident happened. It was like the, you know, remember like the daughter, <laughs> right? And so somebody right, I actually right. didn't know very well. He was a, he was a young, um, somebody older than me working mm-hmm. at Twitter. And he came up to me. He's mm-hmm. like, dude, there's this Korean company. And they're like messing with all the big mm-hmm. conglomerates in Korea. You know, you totally belong there. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is my style. <laughs> yeah. So I, I right. got into it. Um, yeah. And we launched it and had a lot of fun with it. Right. Awesome. And let's go back to the the blockchain, the crypto space. And obviously, like you said, um, you were at Silicon Valley, kind of VCs and uh, companies asking about what's going on in Korea. And I think the reason being is that Korea had one of the highest, you know, transaction volume in the world. And, you know, how do you think we can leverage this and keep Korea as the number one, not just for trading crypto, you know, but as the leader in blockchain advancement? And why do you think this phenomenon happened in Korea specifically? Yeah, so this is a loaded question, but it's something I think about a lot because uh, I'm, I'm actually American. I was born and raised in, in the U.S., right? Uh, I think the first person that asked me was a, a product manager at Ripple. You know, we, we caught up at a cafe in San Francisco. He's like, hey, 77% of Ripple transactions are from Korea. What's going on? And I had no idea, but that sounded crazy to me because Ripple was like the third largest coin back then, right? Um, so I started asking Simon. I started asking my friends and I sort of put together a little conclusion. You know, first of all, um, Korea is the most hyper-connected country in the world. This is why you see trends here, like where, where, whereas it's fashion or entertainment or food, it just comes and goes incredibly fast. You know, we're 11th in GDP, uh, a super homogenous. So in fact, everybody in Korea is Korean, right? And then 40% of the population is in one city. Um, you also have a very repressed culture. So the middle class power here is not very strong. Uh, inequality is insanely high. Um, you know, suicide rates are incredibly high for, the, you know, for a country at this caliber. Uh, and on top of that, you know, uh, gambling is totally illegal. One of the big contributing factors is uh, if you look back at kind of the Bitcoin wave, like Japan took off um, and China took off, but Korea was not online for Bitcoin. And when Ethereum came sort of early, mid last year, uh, the Korean government was in transition, right? Because we threw out the last government with, uh, you know, really peaceful Gandhi style can, candlelit, you know, campaign. So no one was home to put really basic guidelines and regulation or roadblocks. So AMLs and KYCs, limitations on how much you can invent, bank accounts, right? Um, taxes. So whereas in the US, you know, I went all in on Coinbase and I could invest $5,000. Uh, in Korea, that wasn't the case. I know, I know lots of people who put in their entire net worth or sold a house and bought Ethereum, right? And I think that grew out of proportion incredibly fast. What was the second part of your question again? Because my second part was, you know, how can we leverage this, this phenomenon that happened in Korea and to keep Korea as not just number one trading crypto, but as also the leader in blockchain? Got it. Got it. So I'll jump back a little bit and explain my thesis and sort of the mission for Hashed. You know, Hashed, we're our, you know, we're, we're six founders. We're not venture capitalists. We're not hedge fund managers. We don't really know what to do with money. Uh, we're a lot of early entrepreneurs who got into the Ethereum game. Uh, and then the kind of the blockchain revolution. And so we've been fortunate to, to raise a good amount of capital, right? Uh, and then you look at Korea, I guess, like 10 months ago, and we have transaction volumes, lots of speculation trading and nothing else. And for the ecosystem to be successful, especially in the blockchain space, when it's all about network effects, and decentralization, um, you need, A, you need developer communities, which is incredibly difficult to build in Korea because the notion of, 
contributing to open source projects is still, still fairly unfamiliar here in countries like Japan. Uh, you also need projects here. You also need top tier talent people to join projects that grow and do exceptionally well. So one of the natural things that we gravitated towards because we're entrepreneurs is acceleration or incubating projects. If you look at some of the more successful Korean ICOs like Icon and Mediblock, uh, these were projects we got involved in very, very early on. And I think Icon and Mediblock sort of put Korea on the map as a really strong player for blockchain projects. Uh, and these days, you know, we're doing a lot of events, hackathons, you know, hash lounge, hash nights. Uh, and, you know, in July, there's a conference beyond blocks, et cetera, to try to build out the developer ecosystem as well. There's so much attention in this country and what's going on around the market that even my friends back in the States or around Europe, they ask me, hey, did you hear about this news that came out of Korea? Is Korean government really going to shut down the exchanges? Is Korean government going to really do this? So all these news that's coming out of Korea, everyone's just paying attention to. And, and a lot of times we do see where it gets lost in the translations, right? And as a person that you go back and forth with Korea and Silicon Valley, how do you cut out the noise and focus on what's important? A lot of the things we've read about, like the ICO ban, um, was an opinion of somebody in the state. It just wasn't actually implemented into law. The exchange bans were the same thing, right? Uh, and this could just be my opinion, but because the penetration in Korea is so incredibly high, the local government seems to be a little bit careful about um, making rash statements or making formalized, you know, regulatory statements out here. So, um, unfortunately, the journalists out there uh, they'll, they'll do what journalists do best, which is they try to get kind of kind of the news off the ground. I think you know, come December, January, that kimchi premium that we had when everything in Korea was forty five percent more expensive and the whole world was trying to arb crypto, uh, that didn't really help the situation. Right. So a lot of noise went out there, a lot of fake news uh, and, and a lot of information was kind of lost in translations. Uh, I think we're sort of past that stage right now. If you look at the trading volumes in Korea, it's much lower. Uh, I, I like to sort of story I'm telling in, in Silicon Valley when I meet all these entrepreneurs or venture capitalists, it's we're sort of in the after the big bang. Right. Uh, the penetration is high. People understand digital assets here. Now, the trading volume is a little bit lower because the regulatory FUD has reached, um, you know, kind of its global dominance. Uh, and now what? Now we're seeing a lot of local entrepreneurs, local enterprises like Kakao, Line, all of these guys are getting into the game. Uh, and they're very motivated to build out a, their own blockchain project or their own blockchain strategy. Uh, my general thesis is it's incredibly hard for these big tech companies in Korea uh, to kind of move outside of the Korean market. It historically has been. And then if you look at what we consider to be frontier tech, so... Um, AI, you know, machine learning, ML, right? NLP, natural language processing. Um, Korea as a nation just lacks a lot of the infrastructure, uh, even the talent or data to compete at a global level, right? Uh, pretty much anything in AI today, all leads, all roads, and that Facebook and Google, right? So instead of competing at that front, does it make sense to divert resources and try to build out something on the blockchain space? Um, so that's where we're seeing a lot of the movements there. Uh, one interesting thing I want to add here, however, is the reality is, is the number of people in the world who can build a new internet protocol, which is what blockchain is, uh, is probably in, in the hundreds. And I think Naval Ravikant in San Francisco, he put that together really well. Uh, not like people in the whole world can't make new internet protocols. It's very hard, right? And unfortunately, most of those people who can do that, they probably don't live in South Korea or Japan or Singapore. Uh, but that doesn't mean these markets are irrelevant. So I, I mentioned that Korea is hyper-connected. 
Um, something somebody estimated like 30 or 40 percent of white collar employees in Korea trade crypto today. What does that mean? To me, that sounds like the likelihood of a decentralized app and/or service getting meaningful traction in Korea is much higher than anywhere else in the world, right? So if you are an entrepreneur outside of Korea and you're building a new protocol or a DApp, uh, this is a great test bed to try to reach into. Gotcha, gotcha. And recently you were in yeah. New York and spent some time and also in California meeting with not only, you know, pure crypto funds, but also leading traditional hedge funds and pet, venture capitalists mm-hmm. and also blockchain funds. And what are your thoughts lately? What are they talking about? You know, could you share some insights that you were discussing with and what's their perspective on what's going to happen in your future and what's their strategy on, you know, blockchain and crypto? You know, this is a, yeah, this is another loaded question, but just like how fast the blockchain industry is moving, um, sort of the investment thesis and the ideas from leading minds and venture capital is changing as well, right? Um, one of the more interesting things I've noticed were like in Asia, it's very much shoot first, ask questions later. Let's move through. These projects have a really nice white paper. We, we still have yet to see a working product or even like a really successful platform. In all of Asia, right? Uh, vice versa, you go back to the Bay Area, you go to New York, and now you have really strong teams from the research de- departments at MIT, Berkeley, Cornell, CMU. They're all getting into the game and building their own platforms. So these are like the best of the best researchers getting into the game. Uh, when you speak to traditional venture capitalists, however, um, you know these guys have been on the block for 20, 30, even 40 years. What, so what's, what's important to them, right? Investing $2 million and getting five out of it is doesn't really matter. It's not their money. It's the LP's money. So they all have reputations to uphold uh, and they all have a, a, an investment thesis that they raise their fund around. Most Asian funds don't have that. Right. So it was like, are we going to throw money in and flip it? No. Um, biggest problems. Like, do we, are we even allowed to hold crypto? Right. Well, what happens to custody? These are questions that traditional venture capitalists had to never ask, but it doesn't mean that their speciality is unwarranted. So. Some of the earliest ideas are like, you know, if you're a venture capital that believes founders and entrepreneurs are, are kind of the moving factor for a success of a project, then in, in many ways, it's safe to assume maybe that the next Mark Zuckerberg or the next Elon Musk's of the startup world might be in the blockchain space today. So let's find them, right? And let's, let's enable them. That's one interesting theory. Um, I met with some of the leading hedge funds, right? And they're more thinking about uh, what are the coins that are going to um, change the way we understand money, right? If Bitcoin is moving towards storage of value, right, what does that mean for privacy coins like Zcash and Monero, right? So a, a lot of the portfolios are actually in these major coins, and they'll do kind of the early stage ICO investments with a smaller subset of their fund. Other interesting theories, like I spoke with the guys at Andreessen Horowitz, and they're looking at like digitalized assets. Or, or even at a higher level, it's more like, what is possible now that we have blockchain, we, we, that we are able to create tokens and put value on digital assets like CryptoKitties that, that we previously weren't able to do, right? So those are some interesting theories, and they invest purely on that. As a traditional VC myself, we're also kind of exploring to see what kind of you know structures are out there because there's so much such um, not much regulation, uh, especially in this field in terms of relationship with the LP. Even get, say we have a wallet, how are we going to prove that wallet belongs to this institution, right? Just uh, tying that up, and that's why I think we're seeing now the traditional VCs coming through with the simple agreements for future tokens, right? The SAFT, where they um, invest the equity and then they're promised certain tokens uh, later down the line. 
even that is, you know, trying to still figure out what, if that's within the regulations of the government, also the, you know, SEC. So I think as a traditional VC, there's so many different things that we can figure out, which is, you know, exciting, but also at the same time, it's very stressful because uh, you have to make sure that everything, everyone's interests are aligned. And um, like you said, we do have that promise from the LPs. So, yeah, yeah that, a lot of things going mean, on. Even that, we're still at a super early stage, you know, because of the regulatory kind of scare that we're seeing in the U.S., um, the SEC, you know, hasn't quite made their formal announcement on whether these coins are, in fact, um, utility coins or securities, right? Um, so we're seeing projects now raise both equity and tokens right out of the gates. And depending on how the regulatory environment leans, they're moving the other direction. Uh, we're seeing a lot of companies just doing equity rounds first. Uh, and then later converting them to tokens, just raising a really small, more strategic round instead of what it used to be, which is like a big public sale, right? Uh, so the notion of what is an ICO, what is a token offering is constantly changing. Uh, and I think that's something that's really interesting to follow. Right. And at, as a you know, top accelerator fund, not only in Korea, but globally, you know, at Hashed, I'm sure you guys get so many uh, requests for meetings and pitches of these ICOs and different blockchain projects. And with so many occurring today, uh, what, what will be the determining factors between those that succeed and those that do not? And more specifically, what do you guys look for when investing in an ICOs and the uh, the projects that you decide to work with? You know, we're, we're in a fortunate position where we don't have any LPs at the moment. You know, and, we, and we did that out of a conscious choice. You know, we wanted full autonomy in where we invest and, and divest, right? Um, in, in that sense, we're able to make kind of investment decisions some other funds can't because at the end of the day, there's high LPs and they have to worry about ROI. Uh, for us... You know, actually, let me dive back. Most of the funds you run into that you know of, or even the syndicates that are very knowledgeable in the blockchain space, their general thesis is that we're super early and only on uh, in the blockchain space. The dApps make no sense. We have no basic infrastructure. None of the blockchains even work. The train is moving, but the tracks aren't even there. So they only invest in layer one protocols, right? Which I think, I think, you know, that suits them well. To me, it seems a lot like just following the trend. You know, it's like when Sequoia and Dreesen's like, we're doing, you know, virtual reality and AR, and suddenly everybody in Silicon Valley is investing in virtual reality and AR, right? This just sounds just like just like drones or, or just like 3D printers, right? Stuff like that. So at, at Hashed, you know, we believe good teams and good founders will find a way through. Uh, we believe the solid foundational tech will, will always prevail, right? And, and we're very idealists. We genuinely believe that someday people will be working for protocols instead of what we consider to be companies today. You're, Traditional nine to five, Monday to Fridays could be very different, right? And to do that, you need, you need projects and developers and, and engineers and founders across the entire level. Uh, what's really interesting is, you know, we've invested a lot in these major dApps, uh, reverse ICO dApps. So five, 10, 20 million users and they're pivoting into like a decentralized ecosystem because that's what we have in Asia, right? And then in the U.S., we have all of these protocol level projects that are raising ungodly amounts of money. And there might be a power shift towards the end of the year, early next year, when these new uh, supposed Ethereum killers come out into the market. You know, are they going to be fighting over the biggest dApps to build on their protocol? I, I think I think they might. Yeah. So those are some interesting things to look out for. When you're sourcing these uh, crypto opportunities, obviously a lot of them, you know, uh, reach out to you guys. But in terms of managing your pipeline, how do you go about? It? I just had a chat with you. You're having killer schedule with these meetings. Yeah. Is there any certain early signs that when you, when you see a project, you're like, oh, that's a red flag where you, you just pause and let that project go? Well, to be honest, most funds, I wouldn't say most funds, 
Uh, this industry moves so fast that our understanding of what a good due diligence is is also constantly changing. Uh, you know, Hash is fortunate that I like. Me, Alex Shin. I'm the least technical person in the whole company. Uh, so, like by by like two standard deviations. So everybody on my team is able to review technical economics. Everybody on my team is looking at source code, um, and we try to give every project its its respected time uh, to go through that movement. Right. Um, in a lot of ways, most of the projects that we just typically tend to skip are projects that are clearly overvalued. Right. We just think it just smells weird. It just looks like a the founders are trying to raise a ton of money. You know, really easy questions like, why do you need $100 million to do this project? And if they can't answer that, it doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Do you have a working product? In a lot of ways, we're going to avoid companies or projects that don't have any, a lick of code written, right? Uh, we're, we're well past the, the two guys in a white paper stage, right? Um, a lot of things we look for today are what's more interesting now, because blockchain used to be very inclusive, you know, nine, 10 months ago. It, we're definitely beginning to see a lot of turf wars now. So do the team understand the blockchain landscape? Oftentimes, we'll see very strong technical teams just hanging out in the middle of nowhere, and they just kind of miss a lot of great opportunities because they're not you know, where all the blockchain action is at, right? They're not hanging out in Silicon Valley or Singapore or Berlin, right? And, and those are contributing factors. Those are contributing factors. So uh, those are some things we look out for as well. Great. So that leads me to my last question yeah. today. Uh, what to expect from you and Hash this year? Well, yeah. So, you know, we're, we're hiring like crazy right now. Uh, one of the things we're realizing is, you know, we used to want to be this super small, lean team. Uh, but we're beginning to, beginning to understand that, that this is a global game. And there's time zones and, and localization efforts that are incredibly difficult to scale. So... Um, yeah, we're, we're just going to double down on the team. Uh, in a lot of ways, we really have to focus on um, what it means to be a fund and or a startup in this ecosystem. Uh, so it's really easy for us to just give somebody an insanely high paycheck and hire them, right? Uh, but because what we want to focus on is just kind of value and mission overlap and, and cultural fit, yeah, that's, that's, that's been really hard for us. Um, other things we want to do more of, you know, um, we're... we're co-sponsoring and and helping organize beyond the blocks. So we want to do more events or help a lot of quality conferences in Korea. Um, since, you know, the last six months or so, I feel like there's too many events, too many meetups, and the quality has gone down considerably. And, and just it's just adding to all the noise in the marketplace, right? So how do we how do we contribute to, to bring kind of the thought leaders, the best projects here? Because uh, still, and what's really important is the Vitalik's and... Uh, and the Dan Naramers of the world, who are like the Zuckerbergs, right, of the world, are still coming to Korea, and we want that momentum to continue. Um, the other thing you'll see us do a lot more is a lot of the big enterprise companies in Korea are getting into the blockchain space. Uh, we think it's incredibly important for them to have, have a fighting chance in this pan-Asia or global market, uh, even if at the end of the day, you know, their products aren't super decentralized, their ideas on what blockchain is is not decentralized, because it has to someday, um, you know, be a revenue-generating event for them, uh, we feel like our mission alignment is still there. You know, we want Korea to remain a strong player in blockchain. So these companies definitely have to have a fighting chance. So you'll see us get involved with some of these projects as well. Awesome. You know, thank you so much, Alex, for sharing your knowledge. Uh, like you mentioned, I hope one day we see the Mark Zuckerberg and uh, Elon Musk coming out of Korea and hopefully Hash will be right there to back that project. And thank you so much for leading the way for us. No, no, of course. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Alex.